0: In. Hosea eleven one through four. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called him my son. The more I called him, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the baals and offering incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took him up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was, like, I was them like those who lift infants to their cheek. I bent down to them and fed them. Good morning, I'm Keeley, and I'm going to read a reflection on um, God as parent, but more, su- more specifically, um, God as mother, and the passage that Lucy read is a picture um, of God um, in a very motherly, motherly way. So, relating to God as mother um, is new to me. Um, and yet it has been one of the most meaningful shifts in my spiritual life. It all started with a poem. A couple years ago, I heard a poem by Allison Woodard that begins like this. To be a mother is to suffer, to travail in the dark, stretched and torn, exposed in half-naked humiliation, subjected to indignities for the sake of new life, To be a mother is to say, this is my body, broken for you. And in the next instant, in response to the created's primal hunger, this is my body, take and eat. The poem continued, and I wept, hearing my work as a mother, likened to Christ's work in this world, opened my eyes to see myself and to see God in a completely new way. God as mother and self in God's image. I grew up knowing I was made in God's image, but I didn't know till I heard that poem how difficult it had been for me to truly connect with the idea of being made in God's image because God was male and I looked nothing like him, but the men in my life sure did. They must be the ones that look like God. Their voices are the, must be the ones to be trusted. I held these beliefs in an unconscious way my whole life. Finding Mother God has enabled me to recognize and to claim and to value my feminine nature. And embracing God's feminine nature has allowed for a depth of connection with God that I have not known before. God may be beyond gender, but we are not. It matters that we can see God in us and us in God. In the Hebrew scriptures, um, at the very beginning in Genesis 1, um, the spirit is grammatically feminine and creator God is grammatically masculine. And there's a translation that I found of Genesis 1, 1, and 2 that goes like this. He, God, created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and shapeless, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while she, the Spirit of God, pulsed over the face of the waters. We see the Spirit similarly in Luke 1 um, with Mary at the Annunciation. Um, when she, the Spirit, overshadows the holy darkness of Mary's womb. This Advent season, it was meaningful for me to hold these two pictures of Spirit. She, the Spirit of God, hovering over the life-giving darkness before the dawn of creation, and then she, um, the Spirit of God, overshadowing the life-giving darkness of Mary's womb at the conception of Jesus. A writer and theologian, um, Karen Baker Fletcher, says it like this. Spirit is like the amniotic fluids, the waters of the womb, that encompass a child before it is born and flow out with it as it makes its way into the world. Among the Igbo people in Africa, the third person of the Trinity is referred to not simply as the Holy Spirit, but as we do in Western tradition, but as Holy Mother, In this worldview, Jesus has a father and a mother, as does all that lives. And without Holy Mother, life and creativity would not exist. I like this worldview. (laughs) To me, Mama God is imminent and sustaining. She is suffering with those for whom the world is at its worst. She is in the life-giving darkness, unafraid. She wraps us like the waters of the womb, encompass an unborn baby. She is tender and generous. She is a strong warrior. And to quote another poet whose words ring so true to me, I have found God in myself, and I love her fiercely. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Child of God, a reading from Luke 2, 41 through 52. Now, every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, he went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents didn't know it. Assuming that he was with a group of travelers, they went a day's journey, And they started to look for him among the relatives and the friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting around the teachers and listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, "'Child,' Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom in years and in divine and human favor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The child of God. An image we often forget about Jesus. And I want to take a moment to reflect on Jesus as a child of God. I think we often forget that even even Jesus was going through the development and the stages of life and identity. He journeyed from an infant in a manger to a man on a cross. Jesus didn't enter the world and stay the exact same from the beginning to the end, but there is a sense in his ministry, in this story, there's a sense of development. One I think we can relate to. And recognize. But it all starts from the same place that we all start and end as a child of God. I love this story of Jesus with his immediate family because I get it. Family, the family of God, the family of Jesus is on this really long national lampoon type of road trip together. They're traveling, and they're with extended family, and as you know, sometimes being with extended family blessings on those that are here can add a little bit of stress to the life. They go to this massive festival and pilgrims together, and they're heading home to Nazareth except for the cl- Jesus, as a classic preteen, has has decided that it is time to exercise, as all preteens should, a little bit of finding his own identity, to grow in his own self. And so without telling mom and dad, Christ sneaks out. He stays behind and finds another party of rabbis. Mary and Joe, in classic home alone parent failure moment, Realize that they have lost their son. It took them a whole day, which makes me feel a lot better. (laughs) They talk to their aunt Elizabeth and others, and no one has seen him. And so they freak out. And they go back to the temple, talking and searching over every corner that he may be. And Mary and Joseph, they find him. And they are not pleased at all. Sweet Mary seems a little angry. And she should be. I love how it's put in the translation, the message. The teachers were, were all quite taken by Jesus, impressed by his sharpness and his answers. But his parents were not impressed. <laughs> they were upset and hurt. His mother said, young man, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been, have been half out of our minds looking for you. In our own family situation, we talk about this as each individual in the family doing their job. Jesus' job at this stage of his life is to explore his personal development to search and finding his own identity outside of the nuclear family, to play, to pay close attention to to some of that voice inside of him and in his soul, to try to find a new and hopeful, authentic way of being. Mary and Joseph's job is to call him out for testing the new identity of the new identity waters for being. It seems disrespectful and dangerous in grounding him for such things. Each person is doing their job of development. And so I'm encouraged by this new development of their child. And you know what? Mary just isn't angry. But I think we get a sense of her heart when she says she held these things. There was something about this story That she knew told the story of who Christ would be and was. I can imagine Mary when people asking what's Jesus like telling this story. Even telling it to Jesus at times. At times it's the story of the community and those around us that actually shape our own I'm guessing as Jesus continued to understand and develop um, in this way and hearing the stories of his parents and expressing his own true self, it leads him to become the man he is. For Jesus and also for us this morning, it was always about the deeper things. It was always about the intent of one's heart. And most importantly for Jesus, it seemed that his message again and again was about our identity. What the Christ child is teaching us that we must never forget is that we are beloved children of God. In our own personal development, this is the place we must start. This is the place we must start the creation as a child of God. And it is the place we also end Jesus at age 12 was beginning to understand his true home was with and in God. For him, at this age, it meant going to the temple, to the house of God. Later, it seems like Jesus begins to open this idea of where God is and the place of God and to dwell with God. And he finds his home with God often in silence, in the field, in prayer and meditation. And then, to, and then the identity of the beloved child of God, he carries with him even to the moment of his death. Imagine with me, 20 years from the point of this story, when 12-year-old Jesus was heading towards the Passover festival, and he stays in the, stays in the temple, 20 years later, at the same festival, the same caravan of people are coming in, Jesus enters in with his disciples He enters in with those he loves, knowing that he will be killed. He walks through the full lifespan of development from baby to to preteen to growing to one who loses his life. And at the center of all of it, he is able to do so with the pure identity of a beloved child of a good God. So, what about you? What would it take for you truly to believe that through Christ you are a beloved child of God? Do you have the courage to hold and to live to that identity? I want to end with this. I went on a retreat and uh, a 70-year-old man was leading our retreat and he was amazing and he had been through a lot in his life. And he recognized himself towards the end of himself as a child of God. And he read this story that's called What's True About You? And so it's a small little book that someone wrote um, for her friends and family um, that you can get and put your own name or I've got a couple copies one for myself and one for my kids. I read it to them at night and they don't like it but that's okay. (laughs) They're doing their job and I'm doing mine. (laughs) What's true about you? Will What's true about you, little man, is that God has loved you before time began. He made you just the way you are funny and warm, strong and smart. Remember each moment what's true about you. What others may say, what others may do to make you feel bad or put shame on you, it's not what your good God says about you. He says you are valuable. Caring and kind, generous, loving, and worth all his time. He loves to be with you at work and at play, so keep your thoughts on him throughout the day. Although you are tough, some things will bring you pain. Remember God's near through the sun and through the rain. Learning to see him, feel him, and hear the powerful things he says in your ear is the key to knowing just who you are God's little man, dear to his heart. So when you are hurt, broken within, sit quiet and wait and listen for him. He'll speak in your thoughts so soft and so clear Will, you are safe. I am here. My power is great. My strength is enough. My healing will come as you trust in my love. I see clearly what to do and I will always take care of you. No fear, stand strong. The answer will come. Keep your eyes off the world and look at my son. Jesus has made a way for you and I feel about him as I feel about every single one of you. You are mine, my joy in you I delight, through you the brightest day and the darkest night. Lean back unto me and I will carry you. Depending on me true strength will you prove. And as each moment comes may your way comes, may your thoughts be consumed with things excellent, loving, pure and true. Whatever you say, whatever you do, you can't change the way that I feel about you. So will Amy, Stephen, Adam, Elliot. So will listen as I keep speaking to you all the things that are true about you. My friends, I think the thing is, is we are too scared to believe that we may be the beloved children of God. We're too scared for that to be true because the light that shines in us through the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Christ is too overwhelming. But just like Christ took it on, so are we, that we are all children of God. May this be true about you. Amen. Take a seat.
2: Here what the Spirit is saying to the church from the book of Colossians. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another... Forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the presence of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if we haven't met, my name is Adam. I serve here as one of our pastors, and I have a question for you all. Many, many of us have come, maybe very recently, or maybe we're still with our families. So I have a question, especially to the kids. So kids, can I get your ears? I want to know, what is your family like? Go ahead and shout out, what are some things your family is like? Awesome. awesome? That's a good one. What else? Fun. Ambitious. Adventurous. What else? Over here. Tell me. Great. Great. You guys are so nice to your families. All right, adults, what else? What, what is your family like? Maybe imagine going on a road trip. What's happening? Tell me some words, some, some descriptive words of what your family is like. Craziness. What else? Funny. I, I, know for, I know for my own life, this is chaotic and silly. There's probably some singing and crying, like, at the same time. Um, if you sat down at a meal with us, you, you, could, you could be in real danger of being very dirty by the end of the meal. We're all kinds of silly and funny, and it's fun to think about, like, what are we like as families? Maybe, maybe you've thought about that, but maybe you haven't. And I would invite us to think about, like, what is the family of God like? What might it be like to go to dinner or go on a trip with God's family? Let's take a minute and picture that in your mind. What is that like? I think this passage is giving us a little bit of a picture of what God's family is like. So I think if we were to walk out to dinner or to go on vacation with God's family, we might find ourselves amidst a group of people who are compassionate and kind, forgiving loving in all ways that are united, connected to one another. They bear with one another and they forgive each other. We might find a group of people who are grateful, who are attuned to what God is up to in the world and paying attention to what God is up to in the world. We might find a group of people who who are putting these things on like clothes, like it's just a normal part of life, we might find people who are soaked in God's words. This is what this passage is telling us, right? And if you've been around um, a church or a group of Christians for more than like two minutes, you know that that's not always what the family of God is really like. But we're, we're, we're trying, right? If you call yourself a Christian, these, these are some of the aims. These are some of the hopes. Like this is where we're, we're headed, to this kind of living, to putting on these types of clothes And I think for those of us who have tried this for a little bit, those of us who have tried it for a long time, I think you can can give some of the wisdom to those of us who are younger or newer in this path, in this family, that there is real life in this way of being. And and I think there is life in this way of being because this is the way that God is. God is compassionate and kind and loving and forgiving God invites us to be this way because this is what we were made for. There's life in these practices because they're from God, who is the God of life. But if you're like me, you you can read this and feel like, yeah, that's just another to-do list that I cannot accomplish. Like, I can't check those boxes. Even though that'd be cool, I would like to be humble and kind and compassionate and loving and forgiving and gracious and all of these things all the time. That sounds great. But I live in the real world, and that's not really what happens here. I feel like that sometimes. And, and I think that this is where one of the, the gifts of the Christian story are, is so meaningful. That it, and in this passage, it points us in the very beginning to this foundational moment, the ground on which we stand, if you're part of the Christian family, that allows us to move towards this invitation of, of trying towards these things it says this word about this family of God, it calls them beloved. And I know that that can sound like, oh yeah, that's cute. Of course, you know, God loves you. But no, 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 this is important. You are God's beloved. The object of God's love. The creator of all things loves you. Delights in you. And from that place, that moment, that ground, that's where we can move towards this list of seemingly impossible things, not out of obligation or like you have to get this right, but in total freedom. You're not earning anything. You're not trying to prove anything. You are free to try. My family tries to um, practice the Sabbath. So on Friday night, we light a candle, and we pour some water in a glass, and we say some words together, and then we share with one another, like, what are the things we really want to feast on this Sabbath, and what is something that we want to try to fast from to try to not do very much of? And it's really great to hear our daughter talk about these things, because she's just so creative. Mine are pretty much the same every time. Uh, one of them that I regularly try to fast from is, is the sense of obligation, And so I I try to tell myself, I will not be obligated to do the things that I think I should be doing. And what I find myself actually doing is those same things without the obligation. And it's really nice because, you know, the things that I thought like, I really want to actually get that done. And now I haven't done it in so long that I feel like I really should have done it already. And there's just this whole, you know, jumbled mess going on in my mind. I, I let go of that proving or that earning or that obligated sense. And then I'm free to just Try. And it's okay if it doesn't work. It's OK if I fail, but I can try out of freedom. I think that's the invitation here to try, because there are, there are, real, there are there are real, life-giving, uh, generative, positive, transformative things at work in these ways of God. And they grow in us a full, rich, vibrant life that's heavy with the good fruit of gratitude, of compassion, of kindness, of love. These are good things. Okay, so that's what God might be like or what God's family might be like, what at least God's family is aiming for. So I have another question. I just want you to think about this one in your mind for a second. Why is your family? Why is your family? How how would you answer that? What is your purpose as a family, as part of a family? Some of us might have a really clear answer to that. We've thought about it. We wrote it down. We tattooed it on our bodies. Some of us might not have a clear answer to that. We're not sure. I know some people are thinking, like, I didn't choose this. It just happened to me, and there's no why. I'm trying to escape these people or something of the sort but I encourage you to think about why is your family? Whether you're starting a new family or you're part of your family of origin, like whatever family you want to connect it to, why? What is your purpose? And I think we need to bring that question to God's family. Why is God's family? What is the point of all of this? Why did God gather a group of people? And I think there are lots of nuanced ways to talk about this. Different faith traditions will answer it in different ways. But I think it all boils down to one idea. That God's family exists to bless the world. That God's family exists to bless the world. I like to think of it in in kind of two ways. One way, we just talked about all the what what God's family might be like or be trying to be like. And if that stuff is working, if it's growing in us, if it's making us more like God, full of life, generating good things in the world, kindness, compassion, love, humility, calling each other out on our stuff when we're not being true to who we really are, If that's what we're like, then everything that that creates, all the transformation that comes from it, our very being, the way that we are, our whole selves, the way that we bless the world then is to offer all of that to other people. We don't just turn in a circle and look at each other and say, "Like, yeah, this is cool. Let's be kind to one another. Let's be good to one another. We actually turn outwards and say, this is for everyone else. And so we see our work. Our friendships, our money, our imagination, our skills, and we pull, employ all of it for God's good purposes of renewal, of fullness, of wholeness for all of creation to bless this world. So, the very life that is, exists within the family of God is for other people. That's one way that I think God's family is called into this purposes of God to bless the world. The other way, I think, is is to actually invite all people into the source, into the family itself, to receive the goodness, the wholeness, the fullness of God that is practiced in kindness and compassion and mercy, forgiving, love. So we can bless the world by following Jesus in flinging the doors to this family wide open, more and more and more open, and inviting all people to experience this life as the beloved children of God, the object of God's love. We invite people to really embrace being God's beloved, and, and the Christian family tries to bless the world by looking at those who are on the margins, on the outsides, in the shadows, looking them in the face, looking us all in the face, and seeing one who is the beloved of God. Friends, this is my prayer for us, for you, that you would know beyond, beyond knowing that God loves you, delights in you, and dances over you with singing, but not only you, not exclusively you, I pray that we would all know that God invites his family to put on his ways of love. Let them grow their fruits in us. Not for our benefit, but in order to offer our whole selves, our whole lives to all people. So that we might say with full hearts and broad smiles to all people we meet, welcome, welcome, please come in. Enter the family of God. Know that you are beloved. Please pray with me. God, our father, God, our mother, God, our sibling, open us to know that we are your beloved, that you gather us, you hold us together, you teach us your ways, and you send us to welcome all people into your presence, into life with you as the beloved. Give us courage and wisdom and insight to know how we do that as individual people, uniquely us, and how we, this church, All Souls Church of Boulder, does that as well, uniquely as us. Guide us, God fill us with your life so that we might send it out in your name for your glory and to bless this world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.